All right, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling This Is Us. And I gotta say the response that we've had to some of these messages the last few weeks this has been kind of crazy. Uh, you guys have just been eating this up and, and talking about it, talking with me about it, and, and that's been awesome. And last week we were uh, talking about what's the deal with being single? And we found out that the Bible says that singleness should be honored by everyone. And maybe you're single by by choice or single by circumstance. But in fact, whether you're single or you're married, your identity is not found in your relationship status. Uh, Our identity needs to be found and rooted in Jesus. And if you missed last week, you need to jump on our church app or, or, or the website, or the, uh, you can actually subscribe on iTunes to the podcast and, and get that and catch last week's message because uh, just really important. So uh, this week, uh, we're gonna kind of circle back and talk a little bit more about marriage. Now, if you're single, um, don't get too relaxed because... Uh, This is going to be something that I think is not just for the married couples here this morning, but it applies just as much to those of us uh, that aren't married. But I'm gonna be talking about making marriage work. Making marriage work. And I know some of you are already thinking, I don't want to make my marriage any more work than it already is. But actually what we're, we're, we're saying is we're making marriage work, but making marriage succeed. How, how do we make it succeed? And, and that's a question that researchers and counselors and psychologists have been studying for years. Why do some marriages succeed and others just don't seem to work? Why is marriage so tough at times? Uh, you know, why do some lifelong relationships just kind of click while others are more like a ticking time bomb, just kind of ticking away. Uh, John Gottman is a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Washington, and he's been studying marriage and these kind of questions for years. And and some of you have maybe read some of his stuff, uh, heard about him. And anyway, after years of research, he says that he can actually predict whether a couple will stay happily married or lose their way with about 91% accuracy. And that's just often after observing them for just five minutes. And this is not a gut feeling. This is not an opinion he has, but it's actually based on scientific studies of hundreds of couples over decades. And so for all of that, uh, he's identified some myths about marriage that we're gonna talk about this morning and whether you're married or whether you'd like to be married or whether you know somebody who is married, uh, these are probably some, some helpful myths for us to uh, deconstruct and explode this morning. So, so the first thing that Gottman would say is a myth about marriage is that good communication is the key to a happy marriage. Gottman would actually say that, you know what, that's a myth, especially communication in resolving conflict. It's maybe not the silver bullet. Now, I do a bit of pre-marriage counseling. Uh, I can see some couples here this morning that, that I've, I've had the, the joy of, of sitting down and having some great conversations with. And, and one of the things that I found that a lot of people that are about to get married want to work on is their communication. 
They often see it as a growth area in their relationship. And so in our pre-marriage counseling sessions, we spend some time talking about uh, something we call active listening. And uh, active listening is, is just a skill that you can learn and develop where one person in the relationship is asked to share what they're thinking or, or feeling or a concern that they have using I statements. So they're, they're talking about themselves. So an example would be, you know, I'm concerned about how much money we're spending on our wedding. And then the partner is asked to paraphrase what they hear their partner saying and, and feeling. So, so the partner would listen to them and then they say, well, what I hear you saying is that you're worried that, that we're spending too much money on, 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 on the wedding. And, and you're concerned about that. And the partner in doing that, they're not supposed to make their own comments about it. They're not supposed to editorialize or share their own thoughts. They're just supposed to reflect what their partner says so that their partner knows that they've been heard and understood. Now, it's a fun exercise. It's a great relationship skill. But Dr. Gottman would say that when it comes to resolving conflict in your marriage, it doesn't work. Now, don't tell any of the couples that I've done premarriage counseling with. But actually, on reflecting what he says, you know, I would actually agree that, that if we're, you know, depending on that uh, to resolve conflict, it's a problem. And in fact, one of the most startling findings of Gottman's research was that most happy marriages rarely do anything that even comes close to active listening when they're in conflict. It's because they're mad at each other. They're, 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 they're upset. And, and, and when, you, when you're upset, it's, it's very difficult to go, well, what I hear you saying is, you know, the, the, the emotions are going. And, and, and so uh, good communication skills and, and habits will benefit every marriage. And, and Aileen and I actually do use active listening from time to time, you know, especially to hear what's going on in our, our heart and, and, uh, and just kind of share some of that deep kind of stuff. But, but it's not the secret ticket. And in fact, it uh, is certainly not necessarily gonna be something that, that will help you in times of conflict. Good communication is not the key to a happy marriage. But happy marriage will probably have good communication. Okay. Another myth about marriage. Agama would say that uh, personality problems ruin marriages, or the idea that personality problems ruin marriage is a myth. He said, this, this, is, this is another myth about marriage. Personally, personality problems will ruin your marriage. And, and this myth says that marriages fail because, well, one or both of the partners is crazy. <laughs> Irrational, neurotic, nuts. And your relationship is doomed if one of you has personality issues or weird habits or other flaws that make you a strange person. You know, maybe you sleep with 17 stuffies at night or, or you know, you've got to have your, your, your favorite pillow or, or, or maybe you've always got to talk to your mother before bedtime. I, you know, I, I don't know what, what some of the weird habits you have are, but, but, but here's the reality. 
We're all a little crazy. We all have our crazy buttons. I, I mean, just ask my wife. I'm probably not as sane as I seem. <laughs> and to be honest, um, she's not either. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, the fact is, uh, my observation is that some of the happiest couples I know actually have a fairly high level of crazy going on. You know, that's, that's just the truth. Now, that's not to say that personality problems and issues uh, can't be a huge issue in your marriage. And we need to be very careful about the person you choose to marry because you're going to end up living with them and all of their craziness, right? So, so we need to choose wisely. In fact, my dad always said uh, this, keep your eyes wide open before you marry and half shut afterwards. You know, choose carefully, and then when you marry that person, there's just some things that you're just going to have to live with because you're actually marrying a person that's got a degree of craziness about them. But here's the good news. Uh, that doesn't necessarily ruin a marriage. It can make it more challenging. Somebody in the first uh, service shouted out, can make it more interesting yeah, it can make it more interesting, but it's actually how you deal with it that makes the difference. And so you can be a little crazy and still have a great mess, uh, marriage. So, so if you're sitting beside your significant someone, just take their hand right now and say, honey, I know you're crazy, but we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. Another myth about successful marriage is this. Conflict will ruin your marriage. Conflict will ruin your marriage. If you fight, if you argue, if you have those heated moments, it's a sign that your marriage is in trouble and you just need to learn to be nice to each other because conflict will, will, will ruin your marriage. Uh, but here's another myth that some people believe. Avoiding conflict will ruin your marriage. I mean, you just gotta tell it like it is. You've got to speak your mind. You've got to get it out in the open and, and hash it out. And well, if things get a little emotional, if things get a little loud, a little heated, that's just the way it is because avoiding conflict will ruin your marriage. Well, here's the truth. Different couples have different ways of dealing with and expressing conflict in their relationship. And, and if you're single, uh, please understand, you notice that I said I didn't say if you have conflict, I said when you have conflict because it's, it's gonna happen. And couples have different styles of, of dealing with it. Uh, for some couples, they just avoid fights at all costs. Something comes up in their relationship, their strategy is this, get the broom, lift rug, sweep under rug, do not move the rug. That's the strategy. They, they just avoid, avoid, avoid. Well, some couples, their strategy, frankly, if it's not loud, they're not really talking. It's loud, it's passionate, they go at it. And then there's some couples that they talk it out without raising their voice. You know, maybe they do actually use some, some active listening skills. What I hear you saying is, 
And that, that's how they deal. Now, you know what? Actually, all of those conflict styles can be unhealthy and harmful. I mean, there's some things that you should just not sweep under the rug. You really need to talk about it. In fact, there's maybe some things in your relationship that are under the rug that you need to vacuum out. <laughs> you, need, you need to, you need to uh, deal with some of that stuff. Uh, for some of us, uh, the fights are too loud and they're too often and they get mean and sometimes they get violence and it creates insecurity in your kids and it annoys your neighbors. And some of you need to figure out a different way of, of, of dealing with, with some of that stuff. Uh, and then for some of us, we need to realize that you shouldn't just be calm all the time. Some of us actually need to get in touch with our emotions. We need to feel that stuff. And so there's no right or wrong way to deal with conflict in your relationship as long as it works for both of you. So you need to find that place in your relationship uh, where it works. And then you need to learn to fight fair. You need to, to, to make sure that, that you're attacking the problem, not the person. You need to make sure that you're not bringing up the past, that you're just dealing with the present. And you need to make sure that you're not talking about your mother-in-law. You know, just, just some things about fighting fair that, that you need to focus on. And Aileen and I are definitely a, you know, a talk it out, calmly kind of couple, a don't raise your voice kind of couple because we decided long ago that, that we didn't like a kind of relationship with, with a lot of tension and a, and a lot of heat in it that way in our, in our home. And, and so we're gonna try and talk stuff out calmly, um, hopefully rationally. I'm not always sure it's that rational, but we're, we're trying. Uh, and we think that's a great way to deal with conflict in, in our relationship. But after being married for 30 years and observing other marriages, I've come to realize that that is not the secret to a happy marriage. It is for one of them for us, but that's got actually a lot to do with, with our personalities, uh, the culture that, that we were raised in. And, and you know what? Understanding your personality, your wife's personality is, is huge. If, if you ever get a chance to do a personality inventory like, like a Berkman with Pastor Ryan or something, do that because it will explain a lot about your spouse. And Aileen and I took that Berkman. It's like, oh, that's why we tend to resolve our conflict that way because you know, it just kind of works with our personality. And so you need to be self-aware that way. But here's what Dr. Gottman would say. He would say, after looking squarely at my own data, I had to face the harsh facts. Getting couples to disagree more nicely might reduce their stress levels while they argued, but frequently it wasn't enough to pump life back into their marriage. So what pumps life into your marriage? Well, Dr. Gottman lists a bunch of other myths that we often uh, think mate a marriage fail or makes a marriage succeed. But uh, let's dive into what his research says about what actually makes a marriage work. How do you pump life into your marriage? And so after years of research and analyzing hundreds of couples, uh, he says what makes a marriage work boils down to two words. Those two words are love and respect. 
love and respect. And actually that's my paraphrase. What he says is this. The simple truth is that happy marriages are based on deep friendship, what I would call love. And by this, he says, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. It's about love and respect. And I know a guy by the name of Dr. Emerson Egerich has wrote a book by that title and actually didn't get into this book or that book for this message, but there's actually another book that talks about the key to successful marriage relationships in the term of love and respect. And, and just like Dr. Gottman is a Jewish scholar, this other book was written by another Jewish scholar only about 1900 years before Dr. Gottman wrote his books. And this Jewish scholar became a follower of Jesus and became known as the Apostle Paul. And in a book, well, actually it's a letter that he wrote to the Christians that lived in the city of Antioch, he says this about marriage, and this is actually about love and respect. Let's, let's read his words from Ephesians chapter five uh, from the message version. And it says this, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should like, wives should likewise Yeah, that word, um, sub, submit to their husbands. <laughs> wow. That is probably the most unpopular, controversial verse in the entire New Testament. And some of you are sitting there goes, yeah, you know, it figures why the apostle Paul never got married. I mean, this is one of those verses that when people want to discredit the Bible, they trot it out and go, well, can you believe that the Bible says that? I mean, look at this. Look at, is that ever backwards? Can you believe the Bible actually says that? Wives, submit to your husbands. And sadly, this verse has been used to justify subjugating women and treating them poorly, and that's wrong. But it's, it's in the Bible, so what do you do with that? I mean, especially for us as followers of Jesus who, who trust our lives to this book. What do, what do you do with that verse? Maybe we need to try to understand it. And so a couple of things to help us understand what, what it's talking about uh, is, is this. First, I think we need to understand who Paul's talking to in verse 22 through 24. Who's Paul talking to? And he's not talking to the husbands, but to who? The wives. He's talking to the ladies here. And guys, don't worry. You're going to get your own verse in a minute. <laughs> so, so guys, we need to understand that this verse is not written to us. Okay? This is not your verse. This is not a good verse to, to bring out when you're talking to your wife. Okay? In fact, just stay out of your wife's verse. 
You don't like it when your wife goes messing with your stuff, so don't go messing with her verse. Okay, this is the wife's verse. The second thing that we need to understand is, is don't forget the verse right before, verse 22. And the verse right before verse 22 says this, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Another translation says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And verse 21 is written to every follower of Jesus, not just the women, not just married people, but we're all supposed to live lives marked by submission, first to Jesus and then to each other. That, that is just a lifestyle of being a follower of Jesus. It is a lifestyle of submission. And so Paul's instruction that wives should submit to their husbands is just a specific application of a principle that is given to every follower of Jesus. Have you got that? So are there implications for wives and, and for, for women in that verse? Yes, there is. But you've got to see this verse in the overall context of a passage that is absolutely actually revolutionary for all kinds of relationships. The marriage relationship, family relationships, workplace relationships. And, and the marriage relationship is just one application of this. So, so ladies, that's, that's what you got to keep in mind. So, so what does it say for the husbands? Picking it up in verse 25, it says this. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that's how husbands ought to love their wives. So, so guys, do yourself a favor and just forget all the stuff in verse 22 through 24, okay? Just kind of, you know, when you get to that verse, just kind of go la, 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 put your hands in your ears and, and just kind of, what we need to do is we need to focus on verses 25 through 28, where it says that we're supposed to go all out in love for our wife, a love that is marked by giving, not getting where our words evoke her, I love that language, our words are to evoke her beauty, doing everything for her best, bringing out the best in her. And, and listen, guys, if, if we do that, if we live like that, we don't need to worry about verse 22. Do you understand that? Because she'll be putty in our hands. If we love her like that, if our words evoke her beauty and we're doing everything for her best, going all out in our love for our wives, a love that's marked by giving, not getting, because friends, it kills any idea of control or any idea of domination or hierarchy. It's about serving, it's about loving, it's about caring. And we need to remember that 
Again, this love thing is not just a one-way street. It is, again, a specific application of a principle that's given to every follower of Jesus. In fact, you go back to the beginning of this chapter, uh, Paul starts it off, Ephesians chapter five, verse two, saying this, he's talking to everyone. He says, live a life filled with love. That, that's written to every one of us. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That's what love's all about. That's the example of love that all of us are called to emulate. But the specific application that Paul gets to here is marriage, uh, husbands uh, in their marriage. So marriage is about a lot of things, but when you boil it all down, it comes down to this thing of love and respect. That's what Dr. Gottman says. That's what the apostle Paul says uh, is the secret to making your marriage work because that's how God designed marriage. But that's not to say it's easy. That's not to say that it's natural or automatic, or even fun. <laughs> because we're all flawed and imperfect, sinful people. Husbands, that lovely lady that you married is an imperfect person living on a broken planet. And ladies, that handsome hunk that you married is actually a sinner living on a sinful planet. That's, that's, that's the reality where we're all flawed and imperfect people. That, that's who we share the planet with. That's who we share our community with. That's who we share our church with. That's who we share our family with and our home with and our bed with. Flawed, imperfect, sinful people and I'm one of them. And so are you. You see, another myth that people often have about marriage is that marriage is going to solve all of their problems. If I can just get married, it will solve all of my problems. It will solve my loneliness and my insecurity and, 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 and my sexual desires. All of that stuff is just gonna get, get solved when I get married. But marriage won't solve all your problems. <laughs> in fact, marriage won't solve any of your problems. But the flip side of that myth is this, that some people think that marriage creates problems. You know, somebody say, I didn't have any problems until I got married. Marriage created all these problems, but actually that, that's wrong too. That's a myth as well. What's the truth? Well, marriage doesn't solve your problems. It doesn't create your problems. What marriage actually does is reveal your problems. It reveals your problems. If I'm a cranky person, my marriage is gonna reveal it. If I'm a perfectionist, my marriage is gonna reveal it. If I'm fearful or insecure, or if I'm a worry ward, my marriage is gonna reveal it. If, if I'm bitter or angry or controlling or manipulative, it's, it's my marriage that, that, that's gonna reveal those things because friends, marriage doesn't solve problems, it doesn't create problems, it reveals them 
like no other relationship on earth. It really does. I, mean, I didn't know how selfish I really was until I got married. I didn't know how impatient I could be until I got married. I mean, you know, the, the, the line of work that I'm in Sunday morning is kind of a, a pressure point. And, and I remember when our kids were, were young, you know, one day sitting out in the driveway in the car honking the horn because we need to get to the church. And um, not good. <laughs> not good. But it, it, it kind of revealed my impatience, my my inconsideration, my lack of thoughtfulness. And, you know, it didn't take me too long to realize that if there were problems in my marriage, that quite often the problem was me. Because we bring our problems into our marriage. We bring our, our sin and our flaws into our marriage. And, and marriage is kind of like that. Remember that magic marker that, that they, they used to have that, that you would use to color on the blank page and, and the magic marker would kind of reveal the, the hidden picture that was there. Marriage is kind of like that magic marker. It, it's, it's the thing that kind of reveals the stuff that's in you, the stuff in our lives that's often masked or hidden when we're a single person. Then we get ourselves into this intense thing of sharing our lives 24, 7, 365, forever uh, with this other person who we love dearly but is kind of crazy. And it's like God goes in the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in and we find ourselves reacting and it's, and it's like God goes, oh, uh, would you look at that? Would, would you notice that? Look, look at your heart, look at your life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about some of the purposes that God has in creating marriage. We, we talked about you know, how God created for love and companionship and for children and for family and for a picture of our relationship with Jesus. But I also believe that one of the primary purposes God has for marriage is the perfection of our character. It's really the, the workshop that God uses to grind off the rough edges of our lives and shape us in to the people that he's called us to be. Marriage is a workshop. And one of the young people came to me this morning after the first service and, and she said, yeah, my parents' marriage is a workshop. He works and she shops. <laughs> I said, not quite what I'm talking about here. It's, it's the workshop that, that God uses to to shape us and to work with us. And, and you see, here's, here's the secret sauce of, of Christian spirituality. And you need to understand this. If you're somebody that's, that's curious about Christian faith and you're kind of exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus or, or if you've been following Jesus for decades, you need to understand that to be a spiritual person as a Christian is defined by how you treat others. 
It's about how you treat others. The litmus test for genuine spirituality as a follower of Jesus is not really what you know. It's not really about doctrine or what you believe, although that's important. And it's certainly not about keeping rules, about not doing this or not doing that. That's not what defines the Christian faith. Jesus defined the litmus test for genuine spirituality in terms of our relationships. It's about relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. I mean, one day Jesus got asked the question about what was the most important commandment in the law. And Jesus said, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The most important thing in the law is defined by relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And you see that reflected throughout the scripture. Uh, You go in and, and you look at what's supposed to happen inside of us when the Holy Spirit is in us and working to change us from the inside out. Friends, it's always defined in terms of relationship. We go into a lot of passages, but, but, but one is Galatians chapter five, where it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against those kind of things. But friends, we gotta understand that that's all about relationship. In fact, most of those things can only be experienced or expressed in relationship. It's relational stuff. And then catch what what Paul says in in, in the next verse. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Wow. I mean, talk about a graphic, violent statement. And remember, Jesus is talking about relationships here, how how we treat one another, how we treat people. And, And think about that verse in the context of your marriage relationship, that you gotta nail your anger to the cross. You've gotta nail your defensiveness and your selfishness and your impatience to the cross. You need to crucify that bitterness. You need to crucify those harsh and hurtful words. And man, I tell you, whenever you're talking about crucifixion, you gotta understand it's painful. This is something painful. But that's what we're supposed to do. And he says in verse 25, since we're living by the spirit, let's follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Friends, the Holy Spirit is always gonna lead us to the cross. He's gonna lead us to the cross. He's gonna lead us to that place where we need to confront who we are. We need to confront the sinfulness is there that is there. And we need to crucify that stuff. He's gonna lead us in every area of our lives, including our marriage, including our family, including the relationship that we have at work, including the relationship that we have with our friends at school. In fact, Paul would say in another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can be a super spiritual person. Man, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can pray for the sick, you can raise the dead, but if you don't love people, it's nothing. It's meaningless. 
because it's about our relationships. And so he says, let's not become conceited or provoke one another. (laughs) There's two good lines for marriage. Be jealous of one another because the litmus test of our spiritual maturity is how we treat other people. And last year when we did that series in Philippians, the theme that we kept bumping into time and time again was this idea of sanctification, which is how we treat others should increasingly reflect who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. It shows up in how we treat others. And God uses the relationships in our lives as his workshop to deal with our stuff and bring us to spiritual maturity. And marriage is ground zero for all of that. And that's why the foundation for a successful marriage isn't heat between the sheets. You know, it's, it's not marrying the, the perfect soulmates It's actually about truly learning to love and respect that other person in our life. It's love and respect. One of my favorite authors uh, is Gary Thomas and he's written a great book. I think it's one of the best books on marriage there is called Sacred Marriage. And he says, what if God didn't design marriage to be easy? What if God had an end in mind that went beyond our happiness, our comfort, and our desire to be infatuated and happy as if the world were a perfect place? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if that's what God's intent for marriage is really all about? That's crazy when you start to think about it because we marry for love. We marry because we want to be happy and God's saying, well, actually, you know what? That marriage isn't so much about your happiness. It's more about your holiness because God wants to make us like Jesus. That is his number one goal in our lives. God wants us to grow up. God wants us to build character. He wants to build the character of Jesus into our lives. And God uses our marriage. God uses all of our relationships to do it. So the question for you this morning is this. What is God revealing about your character through your relationships? What's God showing you about you through your relationships? And what is God building into your character through your relationships? And it doesn't matter if you're married or single. That, those are great questions that we all need to ask. But if you are married, <laughs> if you have unknowingly entered into God's great character workshop, to be sanded and shaped. What is God revealing about your character? What is God wanting to build into your character? Do you really want to make your marriage work? It's where it starts. It starts with dealing with this kind of stuff. A couple more myths about marriage before we close. 
And this first one is one that churchy people, I think, inadvertently project. And the myth is this. You have to be a Christian to have a great marriage. That's a myth. That's not true. I know lots of people who are not Christians or maybe only one partner is a Christian who have a great marriage. Conversely, I know lots of people who are Christians that, well, frankly, they have terrible marriages. So whether you're a Christian or not isn't the issue because having a great marriage is really about walking in love and respect for your spouse and you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to do that. It's just the way God designed marriage and you don't really need to know God to put that into practice. If you live your life according to his principles, there's blessing in that. It's called common grace. And so you can have a great marriage without actually knowing Jesus. Now, scripture clearly says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should not intentionally go out and marry someone who's not following the Lord because there are significant reasons and advantages for for, for marrying somebody whose heart is also dedicated to to the kingdom of God. But it also says that if you're already married and your spouse isn't a follower of Jesus, you should stay in that relationship and do everything that you can do to make that relationship awesome. And God will bless you and God will honor you in the marriage relationship that you already have. So you don't have to be a Christian to have a great marriage. Okay, but here's the second very popular myth and you hear it all the time. The myth is this, the divorce rate among Christian couples is just as high as non-Christian couples. Friends, that is one of the most pervasive, misleading myths out there. The truth is this, The truth is that the divorce rate for people who just call themselves Christian is about the same as for those people who would say that they are not a Christian. But the divorce rate for people who take their faith seriously, not living as perfect disciples of Jesus, but as serious disciples of Jesus, people who engage regularly in personal spiritual practices like attending church nearly every week or reading their Bible nearly every day or praying in private or or, or praying together as a couple. Those people who engage in those kind of spiritual practices have significantly lower divorce rates than the general public or people who just call themselves a Christian. Why? Because Jesus does make a difference in your life and Jesus will make a difference in your marriage because the word of God instructs us how to live. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to live the way God wants us to live and motivates us to live the way God wants us to live and convicts us of when we're not living the way God wants us to live and leads us to repentance, leads us into those places where we'll deal with our stuff and allow him to knock off the the arrogance and the rough edges and the pride and the sin and soften our hearts and make us the kind of person that can actually be in a successful marriage relationship. 
So what is God revealing about your character through your relationship? What is God building into your character through your relationship? And if you're married, specifically your marriage relationship. If you're not married, think about the other relationships in your lives, your family, your friends, the people you work with. In fact, let's ask Jesus that question right now. Let's pray. Jesus, what are you trying to reveal in our character through our relationships? Lord, I pray for every husband and wife here in the room or that's maybe watching the podcast. Holy Spirit, I know you're speaking to hearts right now about stuff that's in all of us that you're trying to surface that you're trying to say, hey, look at this. That's not reflective of who I am. It's not reflective of my character. And I wanna take that sin out of your life and I wanna replace it with who I am, with my joy, my love, my kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Maybe we just need to have a quiet moment of repentance here. Jesus, I want to pray for every marriage that's represented in this room. Lord, that you would help us to make it work that it would be the reflection of the love that you have for all of us as your church, that the world would sit up and take notice and says, you know what, there's something about them that's different. The way they love each other, the way they treat each other, the functionality of their home that's special. Why? because you really have made a difference in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.